Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on Thursday, 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm as well. Coming up on today's program, uh, a few stories about what's going on in California, a really serious situation with the wildfires out there. We'll take a look at that. Also, thetrumpet.com and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. Take a look at what's on there today and continue to look at uh, one of the great proofs of the Bible the authority of the Bible. Very important topic. We'll take a look at that and more on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio. We're at 101.3 KPCG. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at KPCGFM. Any emails you'd like to send, send those along. Comments at KPCG.FM. I'm Dwight Falk. Grant Turgeon is here today. Still cold out there, huh, Grant? Chilly day today. Yeah, it's a little bit cold. It's probably down around the 30s or something like that. Not much wind right now, though. I think the high is only supposed to be up about mid-30s today. Wow which is one of the colder days that we have around uh, these parts anyway. Uh, for well, It's been warmer. It's been above average for uh, a lot of this. Uh, I guess we're still in the autumn. But, uh, we were, I mean, we were in the 70s last week, right? Now we're down mm-hmm. in the 30s, jumping all over. Uh, really bad situation out in California with their um, uh, wildfires going on. This is uh, one of the top stories today. Hurricane force gusts could cripple battle versus, versus Southern California wildfires. So um, if you've seen any of the footage of it, it, it looks pretty horrific out there. I can ima- I've been out on those interstates. I think it's a 405 out there, but uh, uh, that can be challenging <laughs> by itself. And then you've got these walls of fire coming down. Uh, what, what do you do? You know, you, you, uh, th- That's happened before. I don't know if it's happened uh, this time, but where people will be on the interstate and then a fire comes across and you've got to abandon your car sometimes. I mean, what can you do? So uh, the people around that area are... Losing homes, two hundred thousand people have fled so far. They think, give or take, or are going to. I'm not sure exactly where that that number is, but that's the number they've thrown out there. And so, where do those people go? Two hundred thousand people. Yeah, I know. And it, that wind, eighty miles per hour, is like just leaving the firemen completely helpless. How how do you chase a fire that's going eighty miles per hour and then have time to get out and somehow spray it down? I mean, obviously, people are just trying to get away from it. Yeah, I don't know. They, they say there's really nothing they can do when it gets that windy. Uh, this write-up says the expected strength of the winds driving the region's fierce wildfires has reached uncharted territory, pushing past red, which means high. And when they look on the radar, they have colors, I guess, uh, into the color that means extreme. So they're, they're into the purple, which I guess um, they haven't really seen before. Uh, they said we've never used purple before, so that's the highest uh, winds that they've uh, seen. Southern California has already been hit hard by three major fires that have put tens of thousands of people under evacuation orders and destroyed uh, nearly 200 homes and buildings, and that figure, of course, is uh, growing. They say we're talking winds that can surf on the surface that can be 80 miles an hour, as you mentioned. Uh, these will be winds that will be will, uh, 
be no ability to fight fires, or in these winds, there'll be no ability to fight fires. Category 1 hurricanes have maximum sustained winds ranging between 74 and 95. So these are Hurricane 1 force winds potentially coming in and fanning these wildfires, and there's nothing the firefighters can do at that point. Yeah, it would probably pretty quickly devour the entire state the way it's going, just just blowing everywhere so rapidly and fire just consuming everything. It's a nightmare scenario there for sure, especially when you said 200,000 people are evacuating. That's a good point. Where do all those people go? Do they leave the state or do they go to another town that's going to get hit anyway by fire if they don't go far enough away from where it hit in the first place? It is a pretty interesting question. And most people don't have a you know this huge amount of money just laying around in case they need yeah. to uh, be somewhere else for months. Hopefully they have family or something. But there's, uh, I guess, four fires that are kind of ongoing. The uh, Thomas Fire, which is in Ventura County. The Skirball Fires, which is closer to downtown Los Angeles, right on the 405. The uh, Creek Fire and then the Rye Fire. So they're all kind of within a uh, an area there around uh, Los Angeles. Um uh, and this headline says Southern California wildfires force mass evacuations around Los Angeles. Again, those 200,000 people they say have already fled, and those numbers could jump around. Uh, there's another headline here saying that uh, a family devastated as they just bought an $871,000 house five days ago and just burned to the ground. No way. Well, I'm sure it's insured, but, I mean, still, that's a whole process. Your dream house, you know, you're excited to move in, and five days later it burns to the ground. That's just one story. Yeah, we're all definitely subject to the elements, but especially California, it seems like they're getting hit by things constantly, whether it's droughts or wildfires or uh, even any type of disaster. It just seems like, if you can name it, California has been hit by it. Obviously, the earthquakes have been really bad there as well. Houses just falling into the 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 holes that are created in the ground pretty unbelievable what's going on over there yes yeah, it's, it's interesting um there's we mentioned it the other day there's a lot of write-ups on the trumpet.com that talk about california some of the curses that they've been under over the last you know, decade or so and really i mean if you, it's been pretty bad there and and you can look at just the headlines today and of course a lot of the headlines are about these fires but then there are other headlines about major moral issues happening in Southern California with the Hollywood scandals, with some other things you don't even really want to talk about because they're so bad, but those are the the headlines are out there. Um, You know, the pornography industry, all that. You'd have to kind of just stop and think about it for a second and say, well, um, is there a connection here? Is there a relation between the way people live and some of the things that happen? Yeah, that that region, Southern, Southern California, is almost like the poster child for immorality, do whatever you want. Um, obviously rampant drug addiction and and all all kinds of problems like you said and it, it there has to be a connection of some kind because why would it be that the place that is leading the country pretty much in problems is also then having all these curses put upon it as well yeah a lot of uh, trouble there so it'd be interesting to just watch the news today uh december the 7th see what happens uh, out there in california with these fires i've never heard of uh a wildfire being hit by hurricane force winds before maybe it's happened and i i just don't uh, remember it but that that seems pretty uh pretty amazing we've had fires here uh it happens from time to time and it's we're kind of a dry area sometimes and uh 
we know that once those fires get going, they're hard to stop. And uh, but uh, and it's windy here in Oklahoma too, so that doesn't help. But I never remember it being eighty mile an hour winds during a wildfire. Isn't it also possible for like a fireball to be picked up by the wind and then put down in another location as well? I mean, that's just straight out of like a sci-fi movie but it is possible when wind gets involved it's even more unpredictable and even more dangerous that's one of the things they're they're really worried about is that the the sparks can get taken quite a distance and so it's not only the fires that are happening right now but it's other ones getting sparked up and they said too also that uh the situation here uh, the relentless the relentless wind whipped wildfires ravaging southern california are expected to worsen today as dangerous winds are forecast to f- uh, fan the flames in different directions. So it's coming in all these different directions. And uh, uh, they, they have, f- what they call them, fire nados, yeah. <laughs> where the winds yeah. get whipping, and it, you actually get kind of like a tornado sort of of fire. Uh, and so it, that's a, another difficulty. If the winds are coming from different directions and they're shifting, you don't even really know where to go to get away from it, other than far away, <laughs> right? <laughs> but... But that's easier said than done. Do you just pick up, if you live in that area, do you just pick up your whole life and get out of there and, and wait? I, I guess in some cases they have to because it's mandatory. Yeah, and you said that phrase, fanning the flames as well. We use that as a common uh, metaphor. Whenever a problem is getting worse, we say we're fanning the flames of the problem. The wind is going to make these issues far more catastrophic and destructive than they would have been because, like you said, the fires are just going to be, get spread out all over the state just because of the wind picking it up and putting it down somewhere else. You have to wonder how all these people are going to evacuate successfully the places that won't get hit immediately by other fires that are then started. I wonder, too, how that affects even the fighting the fires from the sky. You know, they'll fly in the helicopters and, uh, and try to fight them that way. And we've seen that happen even here locally uh, with bad ones. But if it's that windy, uh, I don't know how high up those winds go, but... Uh, that windy, you'd think that would make it more difficult, too. Definitely on the ground, they can't do anything about it. But uh, I do wonder if it would even stop some of the helicopters. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to adjust where you're spraying the water, but also you'd have to make sure that the helicopter is stabilized in the air instead of getting blown down or blown away somehow. So it's a, I'm sure it makes everything a whole lot more complicated in terms of fighting the fires. That's a tough job, being a firefighter. All that gear they have to wear, <laughs> and then it's hot, and then... I mean, just the physical labor, besides the threat of smoke inhalation or burning, uh, heart attacks, things like that, because you're so hot and dehydrated and everything. That's a tough job. Mm. So anyway, that'll be uh, worth keeping your eye on today as you uh, look at the the news and see what's happening out there. Uh, Top story today at thetrumpet.com, Xi Jinping, emperor for life, question mark. Uh, Vladimir Putin is going to be president for life, apparently. I saw that the other day, too. (laughs) He's running again. Why do they even bother? <laughs> is that is somebody going to win? You know, shock of all time, Vladimir Putin loses the election. But whether it's China or, or Russia or any of these places, uh, I don't know. I don't think China gets into it as much, but Russia has these sort of elections all the time. But the same guy keeps winning. Uh, once they're in power, a lot of times those guys stay put. Yeah, those elections are obviously a sham and a fraud, but they probably are making it the outcome a little bit more palatable to the people like it's just basically like pleasantries or the decorum of it all even though they know the same leader staying in place he's not being brutish about it he's actually at least actually going through some kind of fake election i wonder with russia if the people there 
if they know, I mean, they have to know, like, this is all a sham, but maybe they just don't care. I don't know. <laughs> you have to be careful because, you know, it's uh, you don't want to go around talking to your neighbors about it because you might have problems <laughs> in some of those countries. But in this case, Xi Jinping, emperor for life, this is five years ago, Xi was basically unknown in Chinese politics. And now he has been lifted to the status of the hallowed Mao Zedong. What does this mean for Beijing and the world? So uh, make sure you check out that right up there by Jeremiah Jacques, who looks at that region, keeps an eye on it, and uh, some related stories to that. What is Xi Jinping thought and the new strongman age? So he's another one of those strongmen that's uh, risen on the scene. And, uh, you know, he just had that, that big, um, what was it, a three or four-hour speech a while back <laughs> where everyone had to sit there and read along. Uh, you know, make sure you use the restroom before that begins. That would be, a, that would be trouble. <laughs> But uh, he laid out very specifically what he wants to do, and he wants to dominate the world. People seemed okay with that. Yeah, he he probably has a pretty high approval rating, or at least the people are not too upset about his long-term prospects of rulership over there. Uh, China does seem to have a strange balance between a really authoritarian government, but at the same time a lot of cities that are well-known for being... Uh, cultural and places that people want to travel, like like Hong Kong and Shanghai. There's plenty of huge cities. I think there's like, I don't know, 20 or 30 at least cities of, that have a million people in them in China. And I think by comparison, the U.S. only has like five of them. So it's pretty unbelievable uh, just how big China is and how successful it is, despite the fact that uh, their government, you would think, would be restricting a lot of that success. They're working on that uh, new Silk Road, of course, and then also they do have some cities that that are vacant <laughs> that they yeah. built. Those are terrifying, <laughs> uh, but they're vacant. Uh, they built them, and there's not a lot of people there. Uh, but and there's a lot going on over there in China. Of course, they're um, they're very much involved with North Korea and uh, what we see over happening over there in that that region. There's a headline from Fox News today uh, where it says North North Korea says this war. An established fact due to Trump's confrontational warmongering. So North Korea claims that U.S. President Donald Trump is uh, creating confrontational warmongering. Uh, CBS News reports this. This year alone, North Korea has attempted 17 missile launches. <laughs> so we a lot of the headlines today, and I didn't really set out to like have this sort of theme, but it's just kind of happening, is that uh, everything's upside down. Like every headline you read, it's the exact opposite of what's true. North <laughs> Korea says President Trump is warmongering. They've launched 17 missiles this year. But who are we to judge, right? Who are we to tell him that his truth is actually totally incorrect when the whole trend of the entire world is to say that whatever you feel in your heart is the truth? Why can't it be that America's the one that, that's actually being belligerent? It's amazing. They they sit there and shoot off these missiles with a China's blessing, obviously, because China could stop them. And then if anything is said about it, then that's warmongering. Right. I mean, what kind of a what kind of a world is this? <laughs> uh, North Korea's year of missile milestones. Just in case you've forgotten, <laughs> North Korea launched uh, one of their new missiles. I'm not even going to try to pronounce them, <laughs> but you know they're bad. Uh, intercontinental ballistic missile on November 29th that Pyongyang claimed could hit any target in the U.S. It's just the most recent milestone in a year when the rogue nation has launched, well, they, they say at least 20 ballistic missiles, so I guess this is an updated report here, including three ICBMs. So that was the most recent one, November 29th, and they were excited to announce that, hey, we could hit uh, any uh, target in the U.S. And what were we supposed to do, congratulate them? Well, that's great news. You're really improving. 
<laughs> or say something like, hey, you know, we're going to take care of it, even though I don't know that they're going to. And then, and then they turn around and say, well, look, you guys are warmongers. Well, it's hard to assuage their hatred of America, obviously. They're going to look for any excuse that they can find to attack the U.S. So if they can make up some sort of claim like America's being belligerent, then, well, of course they can then attack us. I mean, their their people are raised from birth to hate the United States. They're telling all their people that it's America's fault. And their people are not going to know because they don't have access to information that would tell them otherwise, that would tell them the truth about it. It's just what they do. They just are hostile to America. That's never going to change. And they at least want to give their people an excuse for why they're going to attack. You know, it's worth thinking about. Like, how different is the U.S. today in terms of information that's given to the people? How, how much different is it from a North Korea or a China or a Russia. It's obviously quite different in some ways. But in some ways, I mean, if you're looking at kind of the consensus among the media and what the stories they put out, I mean, North North Korea just puts out all these stories that North Korea is great, it's the best place in the world, America's terrible, and, and people believe it. They don't know any better that are there. And it's some in the U.S. <laughs> but uh, and here in the U.S., though, you look at all the media stories, they all have the same kind of leaning, they all have the same uh, thinking behind it, and if anyone dares to say, you know, I have a different take on that, they're pretty much, you know, lambasted for it. So how different really is that, the U.S. media, say, in North Korea and some of these other places? Well, sadly, the U.S. media might even be worse. Like, just the way that the spin is put on it is extremely deceptive. The difference being, obviously, that here in America, we can look on the Internet and find what was actually said at a given speech or a given event. We don't have to only listen to what, CBS or NBC has to say about uh, the occasion. North Korea, they probably can't look anywhere but the state-run media. They they have a lot fewer options for turn to turn to for news. But in terms of the mainstream media, like the main sources of news, I would say America's might be even more corrupt. Because I think they know what they're doing. Yeah, that's the, the, the difficulty. They have a they have in this right up here about North Korea's year of missile milestones. They have a picture of uh, Kim Jong Un, and uh, they say he's signing an order to launch the missile. I just always wonder about those pictures. So, like, he, he's just doodling, isn't he? He's not actually <laughs> signing like some sort of order. I, I never believe any of that stuff. I'm like, come on, now. it's obviously a photo op. He probably is just drawing a picture on that paper. <laughs> I can't imagine that he's actually there. Like, they, you know, they always show him inspecting the missiles. Like, he would have any idea. Like, that oh, looks good to go. And how <laughs> how would he know? Is he designing them? No, no clue. Yeah, he's he has a pretty uh, interesting fantasy life where whatever he wants to do, he can do. I mean, if he looked at a missile and thought that it didn't have the nice type of design that he wanted, he could immediately have the the scientist put to death, even though he doesn't have any clue of. Uh, how well it might work or any of the important aspects of it, he does have pretty big power there, and despite his ignorance, he could certainly get whatever he wants over there. It would I would I always feel quite bad actually for the well, really anybody over there, but for the people that are designing those types of things or doing anything where you might come across his radar <laughs> because if something doesn't go right, yeah, it, there's going to be problems. On a whim, he could just On have people either put in some sort of uh, labor camp or killed and it just has nothing to do with whether that person did anything wrong a pretty pretty insane there and and of course he's living an extremely luxurious lifestyle while his people are actually starving 
Yeah, it's a really bizarre situation. But uh, anyway, they they claim that the U.S. is a, the president is a warmonger as they shoot more missiles off. <laughs> uh, the Trump Daily Radio Show today with your host Stephen Flurry. Make sure you listen for that. He talks uh, a little bit today about December seventh. That's an important day for the Philadelphia Church of God, uh, which uh, sponsors this radio station and uh, gives some really good details about why that's an important date. Also, in the beginning, talks a lot about this, really, the uh, probably the big story in the world scene right now is you know President Trump saying, look, uh, Jerusalem's the capital of Israel. People have lost their minds over that. And, uh, and so there's a really good uh, trumpet brief that was sent out yesterday by Brad McDonald talking about some of the history of Israel there and, uh, and again, highlighting how uh, it just shows the state of thinking here in the U.S. and really a lot of places um, when they're just they can't believe <laughs> their outrage that that Jerusalem be made the capital recognized <laughs> as the capital of Israel. And so uh, really a great program today. Make sure you listen for that. Uh, another headline that relates to it. And again, it's from the upside down world here. This is a CNN opinion piece. Uh, Trump's global credibility is shot. <laughs> Why? Because he kept his word. Because he said, just think about that. He said he was going to do something, and then he did it. And that shoots his credibility. Wouldn't that make you believe him? Whether you like it or not, wouldn't that make him credible? Yeah, I would, I would think so. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what they're even getting at here, since I would never read an opinion piece <laughs> like that in the first place. But probably what they're saying is that he demonstrates an extreme lack of understanding of the the politics of the Middle East. But the thing is, he is following a lot. He's following in the footsteps, or I guess he's following after people who have failed in that region for many decades now. So why would he do the exact same thing? Why would he continue to put off um, actually, I think a bill that was signed that said we should be moving the embassy to Jerusalem. It's not even clear if he's going to do that immediately or if it's, it might happen down the road. And yet people are al- already in meltdown that he would go so far as to say the western half of Jerusalem only maybe is is the capital. I mean, it's just it is getting a bit out of hand that um, him simply stating a fact and acknowledging the reality of the situation is outrageous. I thought he made some good points in the speech that I that I heard anyway. I didn't hear all of it, but some of the sound bites and they're on the Trumpet Daily Show today. Just look, all, all there's been so many administrations that that kept putting this off. And he said we would we would be you know it would be pretty ridiculous to think that doing the same thing we've been doing is going to result in peace when it hasn't resulted in peace to this point. That's a logical that's a logical statement to make. And then even there was a clip on uh, on the news here today where some some expert I guess he said he just makes this this uh, blanket statement that uh, well anybody that knows anything about you know a two state solution knows you can't do this and that and the other. And I thought, what what does anybody know about a two-state solution? Because I haven't seen one work. All the experts, who are the experts? How, how, well, it hasn't worked to this point. But they're making it out like, well, we all know how to make this work. Okay, great, show us. I haven't seen it. But they still act like they're the experts and they know how to get this done. Well, what about the multiple times that this, the nation of Israel has actually offered the Palestinians a state with part of Jerusalem as their capital but not the entire thing, and the Palestinians have blanket rejected that i mean obviously they're not interested in a state side by side with israel they want israel to be 
put out of existence and then they take the place of all of Israel. That's the only thing they're going for. That's their end goal. It's not going to change through any type of negotiations. We've seen that because no matter what Israel gives up, short of national suicide, the Palestinians will not accept it. Yeah, it's uh, uh, just this ongoing problem over there. I mean, even even when I was uh, a kid, I remember just seeing uh, people come out, and usually it was like a celebrity or something, and talking about peace in the Middle East. It was this constant, you know, thing. And here we are, you know, 30 years down the road from that, <clears throat> and uh, they're still talking about we're going to have peace in the Middle East. Well, I, any day now, you know, whenever you're ready. But, of course, it's, it hasn't been that. And it, you can look at thetrumpet.com, and there's a lot on there about how that peace process actually is a deadly wound for Israel and has been for some time. Uh, a headline related to that is from Reuters. Hamas calls for Palestinian uprising against Israel. When was the last time Hamas called for peace towards Israel? Oh, good question. Don't they always call for an uprising? They just take a little break now and then to rearm? Yeah, Mr. Trump's common sense statement actually is exposing even more now who is at fault in the region, isn't it? Because people who are on the Arab side are the ones who are now outraged and they're the ones calling for violence and rioting. If that's if that's the side that the world is backing, you're right. It really is upside down right now. Even in that I think it was that write up, um I didn't I don't get the quote from it, but they were quoting the Hamas leader. Uh, one of them anyway, that was was saying we need to go have this uprising. And he said, uh, well, Jerusalem is the united uh, capital for, I believe he said, all uh, Muslims and Arabs. That's what he said. And then the reporter puts in there, well, and that, that area also would include Israel. He didn't say that. He didn't say anything about Israel. And uh, so I, I don't know exactly what why they said that. But it felt to me like they were just trying to interject their dream of, well, no, 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 they, they want peace with everybody. He didn't say that. He said <laughs> Arabs and Muslims. He didn't say anything about the Jews. Yeah, and and again, that's a, that's a bold-faced lie as well because that's their third holiest site. Jerusalem is not their united capital. It's not the place that they think is the holiest and most sacred to them. It's... It's their third holiest. To the Jews, it's by far their most important. So even that right there just shows you that Hamas or any of these other Palestinian or Arab groups will stop short of no lies in order to get their way. It's upside down. Uh, and here's another note kind of related just, just to show some of the, the thinking that's out there. This is from the U.S., of course, the College Fix website. It says, student suspended. This is from a Missouri high school for debating Islamic extremism with a Muslim peer in a debate club. Officials allegedly said it could be considered harassing and told him to observe social cues. He was charged uh, with creating an emotionally unsafe zone, and he was made to apologize and then put in in-school suspension. Wow. <laughs> and was not allowed to, to protest that, uh, <laughs> that uh, charge. But... Uh, you can't even say and now again, you know, you read it and it's kind of, you know, it's you're hearing what the people are saying about it. So there might be more to the story than meets the eye. But it appears that it was just a basic debate back and forth over uh, Islamic extremism. And uh, you can't go there. Yeah. I mean, think of how upside down the world is where statements that provoke the most outrage are as simple as Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Islam is not a religion of peace. In fact, the Quran 
encourages acts of violence and terrorism, saying things like that are considered just bigoted. You can't say them. I mean, it's considered by people on the left to actually be an act of violence to even say something they disagree with. So if it's considered an act of, an act of violence, then you can punish them however you see fit. You know what makes an emotionally unsafe zone? Terror attacks. Mm. That makes it makes it emotionally unsafe from from what I the news footage I've seen. <laughs> so that seems like a bigger issue. Well, the, the people are just tripping over themselves to, um, you know, try to make things look good when they're not good. In terms of, you know, why can't you talk about the fact that there is a lot of Islamic extremism? There is. Why can't you talk about that? It has to be hushed up. And so, again, I think it just goes back to that point of, well, how different is that from a North Korea? Mm. Where you, well, you can't say that. Well, why not? <laughs> it's a debate. I mean, the other person then can debate back and say, well, I don't agree with you, and, and you can have a dialogue about it. I'm not saying that, you know, it would be wise to run around doing that. But in this case, I mean, if they're both debate club members uh, in particular, um, shouldn't they be allowed to have the discussion at least? Well, there's a common myth that fascism is far right. And yet, who is silencing all speech? In, in all of history, who has silenced all speech? It's people on the far left, because fascism is a far left ideology. You're seeing this all the time. Uh, what conservatives shut, ever shut down a debate? You would never see that happen. Every subject is up for an open-minded discussion among conservatives, but the left will not have any, any sort of discussion about some of these hot-button issues. It really, the left is just prioritizing feelings over life. They care more about hurting the feelings of a Muslim than they do about hundreds or thousands of people being killed in a terrorist attack. They don't want to actually debate real solutions because, well, it could hurt the feelings of a few people. It's a bad situation, uh, and I think if you look at that trumpet brief that uh, Mr. McDonald sent out yesterday, it really gets to that good point of, of how uh, they're, they're just... Uh, so backwards in the ideologies that they're, they're pushing uh, the major ones, you know, in the, in the, the West really. And w you know, what does it take for people to change to kind of shake, be shaken out of that? Well, that's what it takes being shaken out of it to where you have to face the cold, hard reality of no, there actually is extremism. I mean, talk to the people that get attacked. Is, is it, is there extremism? Yeah, yeah, sure. There is. And even saying extremism, that's even a, that's even a watering down of the reality <laughs> of it all. But uh, anyway, that it's that's what's going on. Uh, make sure you listen for the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today, talking a lot about the what's going on there in Jerusalem. And I guess uh, the headlines I've seen said that some are calling for Friday, December the eighth, to be the beginning of this uh, next uh, rage period, the day of rage. So we'll see. <laughs> well, here we go. And yeah, Friday is. Uh I guess the Muslims most important day if you had to pick one. So it, it would make sense that they would start then. Uh, but again, they continually expose themselves as the bad guys in this scenario. Yet the, the entire world continues to be willfully ignorant of the reality of that. Yeah. A good historical note too. If you just think about, uh, ignoring the realities of things, uh, December the 7th today, uh, one of the big things that happened in the world history is 1941 Pearl Har Harbor was bombed. 7.55 a.m. Hawaii time, a Japanese dive bomber bearing the red symbol of the rising sun of Japan on its wings appears out of the clouds above the island of Oahu. 
A swarm of 360 Japanese warplanes followed, descending on the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor in a ferocious assault. The surprise attack struck a critical blow against the U.S. Pacific Fleet and drew the United States into World War II. That's what it took to get us involved in World War II. And uh, it's interesting because, uh, as is pointed out here in this uh, write-up about this history, uh, the diplomatic negotiations with Japan were breaking down. President Franklin D. Roosevelt and his advisors knew that an imminent Japanese attack was probable, but not a lot had been done at that time. And so, I mean, we kind of sit in a similar situation. I mean, if people are honest, they know that uh, there are nations that would be happy to knock us out. They say that all the time, and yet we haven't done a lot to um, prepare ourselves for something like that. Yeah, and it's all a matter of each of these situations. It's a matter of the ideas that are in the minds of men. Back then, the Japanese considered their emperor as God, and so they would stop at nothing to serve him. They would torpedo their planes into ships, and they would die in the process because their emperor told them to make that sacrifice, and so, of course, they would do it. That's a dangerous ideology. If you don't care about losing your own life in service of another man, that's an ideology that needs to be talked about. It's similar to today where uh, the Islamic ideology does condone violence and it does talk about indiscriminate suffering and death in service of their ultimate goal. Those are things to be talked about and acknowledged. Those are realities that you have to face, especially when you're leading a nation and you want to protect your people from those who would die for their cause. Those are That's, that's a pretty... Uh, strong enemy isn't it someone who is willing to go that far to get what they want and we have to be that strong in facing it yeah and we see a a broken will today and that's of course the bible talked about that that uh god would break the pride of our power if uh we didn't obey him and so we see that happening in the u.s what's interesting and in the west what's interesting about uh even uh the pearl harbor attack there's a I have a book on some some historical uh, war stories from that time period, and there was a gentleman that uh, he he lived there uh, in Hawaii at the time. I was just a private citizen, but he had an airplane he liked to fly, and uh, he went up early on uh, December the seventh just to fly and look. And he actually got right up there with the the Japanese coming in. He didn't know what they at first what they were, and then he saw uh, the markings on the plane. And I don't know, they either didn't see him or didn't care. So he, he landed and he ran and he told the the person at that local airport that, you know, this this Japanese squadron's coming in and they didn't they was like, Ah, you know, you didn't wow. you, you didn't see the right thing. I don't know if they could have done anything anyway, but but that's a, a story I've read anyway, so there was at least a little bit of warning there, but in that case it was ignored. Yeah, and that just shows you how tough it is to wake people out of sleep if they if they don't want to face threats and Uh, conquer them well it's really going to take actual bombing actual death on an unimaginable scale to wake those types of people up it it really does get difficult and the, the interesting thing about it all is that when america was at its greatest every single man woman and child was willing to die for the ideals upon which america was founded you don't see that today do you people who hate their own country and kneel for the flag and the anthem and say that america is the 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 worst human rights violator in the entire world and that slavery still exists through other means today. When so many people, tens and hundreds of millions of people in the country think that way, 
obviously enemies are going to crush us pretty easily because we don't want to die for what we stand for, and they do. Yeah, if we can't, as a people, stand together in, in relatively peaceful times, I mean, how are we going to stand together when things get more difficult? Uh, even uh, in one of the more recent Time magazines, I guess this is from just a week or so ago, they have a whole section about the divided U.S., and they go through all these different categories where we're more divided today than maybe ever. Well, Civil War might be the only other time, and uh, highlight a few things. So that that's the reality of where we are today. Um, the, the Pearl Harbor bombing did a lot of damage, of course. Five of eight battleships uh, were destroyed, three destroyers, and seven other ships were sunk or severely damaged. 200 aircraft were destroyed. A total of 2,400 Americans were killed, and 1,200 were wounded, many uh, while valiantly attempting to uh, push the attack back. And uh, so, of course, then the day after Pearl Harbor was bombed, President Roosevelt appeared before a joint session of Congress and declared... Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States, and so on and so forth. He went on with that famous uh, quote, and then, of course, we were into World War II. And, but, you know, that was, uh, we could survive that initial attack and then do something, but, uh, uh, you know, are we at that point today <laughs> where we could survive some sort of attack or, or uh, you know, we even, I mean, uh, if you look at Bible prophecy, there's a really good... Uh, uh, indication there that uh, we'll attack ourselves before anybody else does, mm-hmm. you know, because we're so divided today. And you can read more about that uh, with a lot of good write-ups here at the Trumpet. Yeah, that history from World War II is extremely alarming and condemning. It's embarrassing to us that our president and our leadership back then just basically bumbled and stumbled their way into World War II. I mean, if we had any sort of uh, sense of duty to the entire to ourselves and to our allies, we would have been involved in that war three or four or five years earlier. We would have seen Germany get rolling and understand that, well, Britain's in grave danger. If we don't have our ally over there in Britain, uh, they can only extend. They're going to take over Britain and then come after America next. It took us getting directly attacked and, and just unimaginable suffering over there at Pearl Harbor for us to even respond. And you're right. The, the weapons capabilities today, the threats today are hundreds of times worse. Are we going to have to get attacked first before we start to wake up to the threats? Well, it's interesting, too. If you just look that, at the numbers there, 2,400 Americans killed in that Pearl Harbor attack. Um, I don't have the exact number of how many were killed in 9-11, but it was quite it was high. close to 3,000. Yeah. It, was, it was around the same. Around the same. And, uh, you know, here we got into World War II. Of course, it was already raging, and we got into it. Um, but with what did we do after the 9-11 attack? I mean, we, we made an effort. They went over to Iraq and Afghanistan and some of those places. Didn't go after Iran, which they should have. And, we, you know, we did a little bit for a while, but chased people around, and it, it didn't do a whole lot, knocked Saddam out. But then again, that just opened a power vacuum, which now we've left, and Iran's, you know, taken over that area. So even if you look at the response uh, from from World War II and the response today, our response is much weaker. Like, we can't even really identify the enemy. President Bush at the time, he did come out and, you know, have the axis of evil. He talked about North Korea. He talked about, I think it was Iran and Iraq. Those were the three. So we went and dealt with Iraq to some extent, but uh, nothing done to Iran. North Korea is still shooting missiles. You know, we were directly attacked in the heart of New York City, and, and uh, we really didn't do a whole lot about it. Yeah, we, we tried to deploy the military and, and overwhelm the, the region, the Middle East, with force. But we, you're right, we never did 
uh, face the head of the snake. We did. We never did chop off that head, which is Iran. And the media gave about three weeks to the president to get something done before they started actively fighting against the war effort. They undermined President Bush to such an extreme and demoralized the American people to the point that there was no chance we could ever reach any sort of definitive victory in the Middle East. Yeah, the media really attacked that war effort a year or two into it. You know, at first people were kind of behind it, but then that that swell of patriotism went away very quickly and uh, they couldn't wait to get uh, President Bush out of there at the time. And, you know, the the media narrative was he was dumb, didn't know anything and, you know, all this sort of thing. And so they really they really did a disservice to the U.S. for years in uh, making people really uh, uh, bitter against any sort of war effort. And sometimes those war efforts are needed. And then even uh, the way the soldiers are treated, you know, to today where. You know, they, they have to go to war sort of, but um, not really, but be careful and don't, you know, injure the wrong individual. Well, you know, you can't do anything like that uh, and be successful. There's a there's a, an, another right up here from uh, from Time magazine about just where the U.S. is deployed today, which is kind of interesting. And they're looking at the U.S. Special Operation Forces. And uh, those are the ones that are kind of sent around to do a little bit uh, so we don't have to send in the whole military. <laughs> and only 1% of the uh, Northern Command is in uh, the U.S. area, North America. 4% of the Southern Command is down in uh, uh, South America. And uh, 17% of is in Africa. Uh, 54% of the Central Command is in Afghanistan. 16% in Europe and 8% in the Pacific Command. So that's kind of where they're deployed around the world. Worn pretty thin. It's kind of easier, I guess, to send in those uh, special special operations forces and not fully commit to any of those areas. But what you see is those are the kind of results you get. You don't get total victory. No, I mean, we have had really weak responses, and the political parties on both sides have been pretty receptive to the American... uh, I guess the, the the main American thought that we're tired of wars and we just don't want to be involved in those things anymore. I mean, it, what we get to at this point is just maybe one big strike, one big airstrike, and then it's over, or we send in a, a small special operations force and then leave, or we have a few ground troops stationed somewhere, but they're not actually going to conquer an area and make sure that uh, it is then stabilized. We We don't really... Uh, take care of business anymore because well mainly it's because the american people are tired of doing that yeah nobody likes war i mean that's obviously something we'd all like to avoid but the rest of the world hasn't signed off on no more fighting no you know what i mean like if you don't if you don't have the will to protect yourself you'll be conquered that's just what happens so anyway really interesting history there today December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. Why Why can I not say that? <laughs> Pearl Harbor bombed. I think it's because I have to say Pearl Harbor bombed. I'm trying to say the B and the H, <laughs> and I'm getting tripped up on that. Understandable. But really, thank you. Really interesting history there. One other note uh, before we get into our final topic today is uh, just kind of interesting, uh, some numbers here uh, as far as the medical community is concerned. Uh, and transplants, people do transplants at times. And uh, what organs are transplanted and how many per year here in the, uh, well, I guess this is U.S. Uh, how many kidneys get transplanted per year? 19,858. 7,841 livers. 
3,209 hearts, 2,345 lungs, 1,013 pancreases, and 147 intestines. <sighs> I didn't know you could wow. transplant an intestine. They don't say how successful those all are, but that's what they're doing. And uh, they're now they're toying with the idea of uh, using pig hearts. Oh, boy. Oh, I don't know about that. I think that's a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, maybe if that's your absolute last resort and there's no human heart available, but uh, that wouldn't be my first choice either. That's actually, that's a lot. I mean, not compared to the percent the percent of the population or anything, but that's a lot of organs being transplanted. That's obviously going to be uh, the very last possible solution, and that's where people get to. Uh, if they're desperate enough, that's what they'll do. Half of heart transplant recipients uh, could live... 13 years they say so it's not like it's you know eternal life or something it just kind of keeps it going for a while but quality of life's interesting but yeah i didn't know that they were doing intestines that's interesting and then but yeah they just keep uh thinking of new ideas but again uh uh it's kind of questionable uh they say pig hearts could prove to be even better they think since scientists have managed to edit pig dna and make them healthier so (laughs) okay best of luck with that (laughs) I mean, uh, they've been working on that stuff for 50 years, and so that's what we've come to is maybe maybe putting pig hearts in people. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really extreme. I mean, maybe they have thought of a way that that could work, but I wouldn't personally trust that with my with my situation, but I don't know, to each person his own. Yeah, that's uh, really uh, interesting. They get into all kinds of thinking there. Uh, we've been looking this week at uh, this really interesting reprint article, very important, uh, The Authority of the Bible. And uh, we've been talking about the seven keys to understanding the Bible, and uh, we're at the uh, seventh key today. And this is one that uh, is is uh, a little bit of a stumbling block for many, many people, and that is God's Sabbath uh, since this is the test commandment, the one that most professing Christians utterly refuse to obey, the one that requires the greatest uh, reliance on God to keep, it stands as the final basic key for a good understanding of all those who do his commandments. And uh, so if we're going to understand the Bible, we have to keep God's commandments. One of those commandments is keeping God's Sabbath day. Not a popular commandment. Yeah, that that is a really fascinating connection there where we could read and study the Bible 10 hours a day if we wanted to, but if we don't obey the commandments, God just won't make that understanding clear to us. And because the Sabbath command is the test command, it's the, it's the one that I believe the Catholics have even eliminated that from their list of commandments that you have to keep. Uh, well, that, that, that just shows you that um, that's that's going to be the one that determines for a lot of us if we understand any of the Bible at all. Yeah, if, you, if you've looked at the uh, autobiography of Herbert W. Armstrong, which is at the trumpet and it's free, it's a great, great book, and it talks about his his uh, coming into God's truth and beginning to understand things. And, of course, he was tested right away with the Sabbath. That was one of the first tests that, that he was confronted with. And, of course, he thought, well, I, I don't want to do that <laughs> until he looked into it. That and evolution, those were the two things he was confronted with. But, um, uh, you know, in his experiences, he's recorded when he began to understand something in the Bible, he had to uh, do it. And he was the rare individual that actually would. And then he worked with other people that did have some understanding, and he'd present something to them and from the Bible. And they'd, they'd say, yeah, I mean, that looks right, but people wouldn't accept it, so we're not going to teach it. And lo and behold, 
their understanding began to uh, dissipate because, uh, again, there is a living God. It is his living word. And if somebody says, well, I, I understand it, but I don't want to do it, um, then you stop having understanding. And so that test commandment, that Sabbath commandment, is vital to uh, keep. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't remember all the details, but there was another story of a man who had a, an ability to pray over people and mm-hmm. they could be healed. And um, Mr. Armstrong told him some element of truth that this man wouldn't accept. And then he lost his ability for those people to be healed after he prayed for them. So it does show you that God, once once we find out what to do, if we don't start doing it at, at some point, then God will take away even what we did understand. And also the Sabbath day is, uh, keeping the Sabbath day is part of the uh, identity of Israel and of God's people. Uh, and of course, uh, the house of Israel threw away this key to their identity and then uh, they became the lost 10 tribes. And uh, today, most Jews usually keep the Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath on some level. And that's how come people know who they are, is that they keep the Sabbath. And people know that if they're if if you're a Sabbath keeper, you know that if somebody finds out that you keep the Sabbath, they they automatically think you're Jewish, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a, it's an identifying sign, uh, but it's not just for the house of Judah; it's for all of Israel, and that includes those lost ten tribes, which is America and Britain and other nations. Uh, but you don't see people keeping the Sabbath today, and that's why they've lost their identities. Right, and even in the case of the Jews, they have added so many extra. Uh, regulations and laws to the Sabbath that it's really a burden for them. They can't hop in an elevator to go up 10 flights of stairs or that the equivalent of that. They can't turn on a light switch. They can't uh, heat up a meal. Those are the types of things that make the Sabbath a burden and not a delight, which is exactly the opposite of the way that God says to keep it. So right there you see that they're not keeping it the right way, but God's church is keeping it the right way. Friday sunset to Saturday sunset and that's a a really good and helpful way to narrow down where God is today. Yeah, and there's it's pretty obvious why it's the test commandment because it's hard to do it especially if somebody's not in the habit of it uh, because there's so many things that go on on the Sabbath in this world, you know, there's the sporting events, there's the you know, the 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 fun things that people want to go out and do and spend spend their time doing it, but part of that command is you refrain your foot from your pleasure on the Sabbath day. And uh, and so people struggle to do that. What would they do with the college football? <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of things that really are important to people. But then, then of course, that begins to reveal a few other things too, doesn't it? Idolatry? Do you put something before God? I mean, you look at those commandments. And, of course, uh, on the Trumpet Hour, I think it was uh, just the other day, uh, Dennis Leap, who is the host of uh, Just the Best Literature, he talked about that, um, that new survey that came out of the U.K. there where they, they got rid of or they didn't think it was important to keep some of the commandments. Uh, all the ones basically towards God they didn't want to keep anymore. Right. They don't want to murder people, but they don't think people should murder them, I guess. <laughs> but uh, they don't want to keep the Sabbath or any of those other things. Uh, it is a, it is a major, it is the major test commandment, keeping the Sabbath day holy. Yeah, and that that is, it is incredible how stubborn we can be as humans. We can be so set in our ways that when we find something that is incontrovertibly true and factual, we don't always apply it just because we don't want to, and it contradicts what we're already doing. Uh, obviously, 
God can't work with people who have that type of mentality. If they're not going to change anything, regardless of what they understand, God won't even make the understanding available. Only people with an open mind who will actually apply what they're learning can understand the Bible. If they pass the test of keeping the Sabbath day, once they learn that they're supposed to do that, then God can reveal a whole lot more. It's good to remember, Christ said, you know, not not just people that say, Lord, Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of God, but those that keep his word. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people that say, Lord, Lord, <laughs> but don't don't actually keep the word. And, uh, you know, I was thinking today, too, about how uh, you could look at the Sabbath or you could look at uh, the headlines in the news and the things going on and how, how conditioned people are in this world to accept lies, to just believe lies. So many things are said and they're just flat out lies and yet they're presented like truth, and so people believe it. But we're, we get lied to all the time. You should start getting a little mad about that. Like, yeah. I'm sick of being lied to all the time. Yeah, I know. It, it's almost like we've lost our curiosity for the truth. We'll just accept what we hear if it's a lie that fits in with what we already tend to believe or what we're already tending to practice. Uh, it's a pretty hypocritical, pathetic way of, way of going about life, isn't it, to just will willfully be brainwashed like that you know there was a, a headline today i won't say who it was but it's a very famous religious leader you can find the headline um <laughs> is talking about uh praying and and said that uh and this is a leader of a major religion and said uh oh yeah they fall asleep all the time when they pray and that you know and, and a lot of saints did <laughs> quote unquote uh and they said well you know it's like yeah it's like you know you know, being there with your dad, you know, comfortable and you're sleepy and you just fall asleep. <laughs> where is where do you find that in the Bible? Does God accept those types of prayers? <laughs> the sleepy falling asleep prayers. But here's a leader of a major religion saying, yeah, it's fine. I do it all the time. Yeah, it's supposed to be a conversation. So it's not necessarily a normal thing to fall asleep mid-sentence. Uh, when we're talking to a human being, right? Yeah. So obviously, obviously, if that is their way of approaching God, then God's not real enough to them. He's not the equivalent of you sitting right here in front of me. He's not as real as that. He's just uh, a far off, distant spiritual being who doesn't really care about what we have to say. Well, and you know, the Bible has so many examples of God saying, "Look, talking about people bringing sacrifices to Him," and of course, anciently they would bring you know actual sacrifices, an animal or something. Uh, and But that equates to prayers today in a lot of ways. And so, you know, he says, look, I, I don't want your lame sacrifices. I don't want you bringing the, you know, I want you to bring the best, not the lamest and the worst. You know, and even think about it humanly, humanly like you said. I mean, what if you were a king? <laughs> you were the king of a country and somebody came to you and they said, uh, I've got a lot of requests, a lot of things I need your help with. And you're like, great, let me hear them. And then they fell asleep halfway through it. <laughs> what would you do? Would you be happy about that? So again, I mean, that's just another example of just lies. That's not from the Bible to say something like that. That's just a lie, but people will accept it. Well, also, what if you made those requests known to the king, and then he said, okay, great, I'll fulfill all those, but you have to remain a loyal subject, and you have to keep on abiding by the laws of the kingdom. And you just said, no, I'm not going to actually obey anything you tell me to do, but you still have to give me the things I asked for. It's not realistic on that level, but it's almost like we apply that same standard to God, where the law is done away, we don't have to do anything that the Bible says, but because we prayed for it, he should give it to us. Yeah, it's a great point. It, you know, the Bible, everything in the Bible, all the promises and everything that God makes to people. I mean, it is it is a a two way situation. You know, people have to do their part as well, including keeping the Sabbath day. And that's you know, people want all the blessings, obviously, 
uh, don't want to do what's required in some ways. Uh, and so to understand, though, the Bible and what it teaches on any subject, whether it's prayer or anything, one of the keys is uh, looking to God's Sabbath day, proving it, hey, improve it, you know, and of course you should prove it, and then, uh, and then keeping it. And so that's, uh, there's a great write-up on thetrumpet.com about the Sabbath day uh, that you can look up. There's a booklet there. And uh, which day is the Christian Sabbath, so make sure you get that and check it out. Prove it to yourself, and then, uh, then of course, you have to decide if you're going to do it or not. Yeah, it's a really uh, important test commandment, and obviously God is always watching to see if we will actually follow through on what he is teaching us, or else why would he want any arrogant person to to understand the rest of the book? Yeah, here, I'm going to reveal all these secrets to you, but uh, just don't do any of them. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today here on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday. If you're out in Southern California, be careful today. It's uh, a lot of fires out there. Uh, Listen for the Key David program, Trumpet Daily Radio Show, coming up for Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.